This is The Insecurity Project. If you are looking to solve the insecurity problem in your life, rather than just manage it, mask it or medicate it, you have come to the right place. This is the home of high-quality content and conversations about how to overcome insecurity. If you can do that, it's not just good for you, it's not just good for your friends and family, it's good for the world, so it's kind of important. There's some work to do here, but let's go do this work together. Now on to today's show. Hi friends, you're on the Insecurity Project again with Jamin. Um, my guest today is Isaiah McKimmy. Now, I'm really excited to have Isaiah on the show because you may have remembered at the start of the year, uh, one of my intentions was to address the areas of sexuality and spirituality and specifically how they related to insecurity, just identifying that people suffer greatly in both those areas for not knowing how to navigate it, especially when it interacts with their beliefs about themselves. So it's taken me till the very end of the year to fulfill that intention. Uh, but I'm so grateful to have you on the show and it's a really important subject to dive into. So, so thanks for being here, Isaiah. Thanks so much for having me, Jamin. So you are a couples therapist and a sexologist. Uh, tell us a bit about what that means. Yes, um, good question. So my, my work really started in the area of sexuality. Um, I was really interested in how sexuality um, can be a little bit of a key to personal growth and the impact that it can have on relationships when everything isn't functioning the way it should. And that led me down a path of exploring relationships a little bit more and becoming a couples therapist as well. So Essentially, I now help people in both the area of sexuality and their relationships. And often when there's a problem in one area, there's a challenge in the other as well. So I help in both of those areas. Mm, fantastic. Obviously, uh, very necessary work and so great to be able to have someone to address an issue that often people don't know what to do with. So don't do anything, just kind of deal with what they've got. So um, yeah, so so insecurity, you know, that's the the whole intention of the insecurity project is to help address another vulnerable subject that people often don't know what to do with, so don't talk about it at all. So I'm really interested in chatting to you today about the interplay between insecurity and sexuality and uh, you know, how a person's beliefs about themselves really impacts what happens in the bedroom and what happens how they view their own sexuality. So what can you Tell us about your observations around, uh, yeah, what happens with insecurity in terms of sexuality. Yeah, um, good, good question, and one that I'm pretty personally uh, familiar with. Okay, I think um, a lot of us have, um, you know, insecurity, and particularly in the area of, of sexuality. Um, I know when I think of kind of security and insecurity um, and particularly around sex, I often think of a kind of confidence and competence as well. And we're generally not taught a lot of competence in the area of sexuality or relationships. We're kind of left to just figure it out on our own. That often means kind of fumbling around in the dark, hoping we've got it right. Um, but there's so little really open and honest conversation about sex and what it means and, and how, it, how it actually goes. Um, 
And, and certainly we don't get a lot of education around it growing up. So often we're really kind of lacking um, a competence around sex and, and our relationships as well, how we should communicate about things, what actually makes a relationship really strong and happy. And so for, for me, that can affect our, um, our security and we can be secure in a whole lot of other areas and not in the area of sexuality. For me personally, um, feeling kind of insecure about myself and, and my body was a very, very familiar theme to me growing up and, and into my 20s. Um, I didn't feel great about my body. I didn't feel very confident within myself. And the way that that translated into the area of sexuality for me was not really liking people seeing me naked obviously really hard to, to have great sex if you don't actually want someone to see you naked. Uh, and it also uh, meant that I didn't really ask for what I wanted during sex. I was afraid to say when I liked something because I was afraid I would be judged. I was afraid to ask something because, again, I didn't want to be judged and I didn't want to upset the other person. Gosh, what if they think they're not doing a good enough job. So it was all this kind of silent, um, the silent kind of affair, really. And it was okay. But as I learned to feel more secure in myself, in my body, in speaking up and asking for what I wanted, um, as I started to let go of some of my old beliefs around sexuality and realise that it's a really normal part of human experience and it's okay to enjoy it and it's okay to want to explore it. I was able to then speak up, um, have more pleasure in my sex life and, and have more intimacy in my relationships as a result. Yeah, wonderful. And I think as with other areas of insecurity, uh, fear unexamined just grows and uh, especially when it's unspoken fear, so you never even identify exactly what it is you're afraid of. It becomes a monster and can consume you. So I imagine some of the hang-ups people must have in terms of their sexuality just for lack of observing those things, for lack of framing them and exploring them, uh, it, it, it probably comes out in some really awkward ways, some, some ugly ways, some very dysfunctional ways. And so what do you, you know, when people come with, you know, years that they've never even explored this stuff, it's just been taboo, it's been too big. Uh, what's the way into the conversation, do you think? Look, gently uh, mm. is the way that I would, would approach it. We have such a deep experience of shame around sexuality. It's often one of our first experiences of, of shame in our life is, is around our sexuality. Um, the way we move uh, babies or hands child away from their genitals, the way we look away when they might be um, pleasuring themselves or just kind of exploring that part of their body. Um, it's a really natural thing for children to do, but it gets socialized out of us very early. And so um, we, we have a deep experience of shame that often goes with that. And that gets reinforced by sexuality not being spoken about openly. When something is unspoken, or that thing that can't be spoken about, it, it reinforces that there's a taboo, that there's shame around that subject. So we want to open this up 
mm. really, really gently with couples. If we uh, go kind of too far, um, you know, and often this will kind of happen in relationships. It's like uh, one partner might say to the other, can't, can't you just do this? I think this will really help you. You really enjoy this. They stretch themselves beyond what feels comfortable with them. And again, it actually reinforces the shame for them. So when we're opening this up, we want to do it gently and with a whole lot of understanding and compassion that this is a really difficult area for us to talk about and for us to, to start to step into. So for me, I would say that's, that's the first thing, to understand that and to go really gently in terms of um, starting to talk about this a little bit more with your partner, one of the places that, that I recommend people start, and it can be so helpful for us to do this on our own as well, is to start to examine what were the messages that we received about sex in our family growing up? What were the messages we got about sex from our religion, our, our broader community, because when we start to examine those messages, either explicit or implied, we start to realise why we might be so um, kind of tied up and, um, and shy or embarrassed in this area. That's so good. Uh, I'm curious around what happens if sexuality gets suppressed due to insecurity, how it might be compensated for, or do you, do you, you notice patterning around, um, you know, what happens if a person has an area of shame and they don't have the conversations, obviously it doesn't just impact their sex life. It's a deeply human aspect of, of life. Mm -hmm. So have you noticed uh, some of the side effects or some of the compensations that happen when uh, when someone's sexuality has been kind of blocked or suppressed or not spoken about? Yeah. Um, so I actually I want to use um, I want to use a couple of examples around this. Um, one was actually a client that I was speaking to last night and. Um, the, the sex life that this couple has had hasn't been great for probably about 30 years. Um, it hasn't been something that they've been able to speak about. You know, they've had sex, they raised their children together, and now at the end of all that, they've got a good relationship together, but the sexual component is still the one that they really struggle to talk about. And what it kind of means is that their sexual frequency has sort of gone down to almost nothing. And what, um, in this case, the male client was, um, was expressing was the way that that impacts his confidence overall, feeling like his wife isn't attracted to him, feeling like he doesn't know how to turn his, his partner on. There's a feeling of helplessness that, that comes with that. Um, Oh, and a real lack of confidence that, that started to play out in other areas of his life as well. Um, conversely, to, to share another example, and I, and I really love this example because for me it's such a great indication of 
what's possible when we start to explore our, our sexuality. It was a, um, a woman that I was working with around her low desire. And, you know, and there's a lot of what she experienced that I could relate to myself. Um, she didn't feel great about herself. Um, she would in no way ask for what she wanted in the bedroom. But as we did work around her sexual beliefs and getting her in touch with her body and then getting her to, to speak up and ask for what she wanted in the bedroom, she actually let me know that she started to speak up more in board meetings as well. So at work, she started to become more confident. She started to voice things uh, that she never had before. So it didn't just improve her sex life. It didn't just improve her relationship. It improved uh you know, really her life as a whole to actually step into this sometimes challenging but really exciting space. Yeah, sure. That's, yeah, that's really interesting because I think the, the insecurity causes us to protect ourselves and defend ourselves and that's going to play out mm -hmm. across the board in other areas. Um, so in terms, of, in terms of cultural messaging around sexuality and, and maybe differing between the sexes, um, you know, do you... Do you you know, how do you address that? Some of the, the cultural norms and rules around um, the different approaches for male and female around sexuality and, and plenty of the stuff that's not helpful. Uh, what's the way into thinking about that in, in a healthy way that allows growth? For me, awareness is really that first step. And so much of this is kind of assumed and, um, and implied. But when we start examining what are those messages? What was I taught as a man? What was I taught as a woman? How was that different? And are they the beliefs that, that I really want to hold on to? That then becomes the gateway, I think, to, to starting to challenge what we were taught around this. Hmm. Great. Do you, think, do you think there are different challenges for male and female or do you think the challenge is the same? Look, I think in, in some ways there are similarities. We both have a lack of education. Um, you know, all, all genders feel insecurity in this area. I think one of the, the key differences is that for men, there's an expectation that they'll just know what to do. Uh, and I think that, that that can be hugely challenging. For women, there's often a more socialised fear around sexuality so a lot of our um, early messages around sex were don't get pregnant don't have sex too soon if you're going to have sex use protection like they're the main messages that that we get so there's often um, a fear around sex for women and and for men that pressure that they're just going to to know what to do mm, sure um what are your thoughts on the impact of pornography in in the way that that um educates and frames sexual expectation. Mm. Yeah, I, and I think that that word educates is a, is a really interesting word to use around pornography because pornography is entertainment. And unfortunately, with the lack of education that we get around sexuality, pornography has become our, our education and that's really not what it's intended to be. So I think that that's um, firstly a really important thing uh, for people to keep in mind. Pornography, I think, can be helpful. It can show us the, the whole range of um, things that humans like to explore and express 
around their sexuality. And I'll sometimes suggest that, that, uh, you know, people watch pornography to kind of just give them some ideas. But I think there is so much that is shown in pornography that that isn't reality and um, and that we're kind of mistaking it for reality. You know, the, the lack of foreplay, the lack of consent, the lack of um, safer uh, sex practices in there uh, as well. The the idea that we want sex to, to last, you know, a whole lot of time. Um, you know, our, our bodies aren't, aren't designed for that. Um, there, there's a whole lot of things that are consistently portrayed in pornography that just aren't reality. <laughs> mm. uh, so, uh, I mean, often that's the way kids today, more than any other generation, are learning about sex. So mm. uh, how do you talk to parents about, um, you know, their role in the education process and what to do with porn for their kids? Like how, how does that, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, and it's a, it can be a really kind of daunting and scary topic for parents. Um, the idea that their kids might find pornography, but also the idea of talking to their kids about um, sex and sexuality as well. I think we can kind of have this belief that if we talk to children about sex, we're in some way giving them permission to go out and explore. But the research has actually found um, the opposite. The, if we can give kids really good education, um, so, so in, in countries where there is more comprehensive sex education, um, they, they actually have a later um, starting age of, of sex and, and lower teenage pregnancies than, um, than countries where um, it's kind of an abstinence only sex education program. Kids are often finding pornography at the moment, not because they're going out and looking for pornography. They're either finding it by accident or they're finding it because they've heard certain words used by the adults around them, but they're not sure what they mean because there's that aspect of, of secrecy and taboo. And so, you know, what do kids do? They get on, they Google the word boob. And, you know, which is, you know, which is relatively innocent in itself, but obviously then what they're, they're exposed to from, from trying to find information um, can have a real impact on them. And I think the average age um, that children first see pornography online now is, um, is 11. That age may be, um, that's certainly the trend is that that's becoming younger and younger. So often by the time that we think kids are ready, to have that conversation or to be introduced to that, it's actually too late. They've, they've heard things in the schoolyard. They've, you know, potentially found something online. So I would say in terms of educating children around this and creating a safe space where they can come to you and talk about it and not feel that shame and taboo around sex is to offer age-appropriate sex education from every age. So um, all the way from, you know, using correct terminology for genitals with toddlers for explaining what's normal and what isn't, it is going to change, obviously, what is appropriate at every age. But, 
making sure it isn't the one talk. You know, I know my generation, it was like, did you get the talk about yeah. sex? And that was usually, you know, reading that where did I come from book. I think there's, you know, a, a whole generation of, um, of Australians who that was our that was our sex education. Mm. I think we have to shift away from having the talk to having a series of talks and to just keeping really open dialogue about this aspect of our lives the way we would any other aspect of our lives. Mm, that's great. And just coming back to something that you started with, uh, that sexuality is actually a way into personal development, so rather than the other way around. So talk to us about some of the joy of of really having a fulfilling sex life and a, a you know an authentic sexuality that that feels right for you. What t- tell us about what that opens up and uh, what yeah the, the the joy of that experience. Mm. So some of where where I kind of really began this, um, you know, this journey around sexuality for me was in kind of the Eastern um, spiritual tradition of of Tantra. And in Tantra, we see sexual energy as life force energy. Mm -hmm. So when that sexual energy is, is able to flow through us without being suppressed, without being pushed aside, we actually have more, more energy for life, well, um, you know, some people will talk about it in terms of feeling like they have more creativity as well and, and more expression. I think by exploring our sexuality, we're often challenging a lot of norms that have been given to us. And so we're often kind of less inhibited mm. in, in general, where we're more easily able to explore. In being able to to talk about sex, um, again, we're kind of breaking through some of those, you know, barriers that we might otherwise have. And so that can create um, enormous intimacy in in a relationship. In a a real physical sense, um, you know, sex obviously helps us release so many hormones and endorphins that, um, that can elevate our mood, that help us feel closer and and more connected to someone and i think you know for all of us we kind of know that feeling of just kind of standing a little bit taller when when we are having great sex where we haven't felt like we've had to hold ourselves back Mm. in that area or that there's there's something wrong with us in that area and that that does lead to enormous joy and intimacy and pleasure and and an energy that can then you know, spill over to so many other areas of our lives. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, so many questions. This is this is wonderful. Thank you for your for your wisdom here. Um, I, I do I do want to touch on abuse, sexual abuse, because of the prevalence of that in today's world too. So no mm. doubt, um, part of the barrier to a healthy sexuality has been you know really painful experiences people have had at the hands of others. Um, what are your thoughts about the way to find freedom? if that's been, you know, the experience you've had? Yeah. Um, what, I, what I want to start by saying around that is that it's possible. So even people who have had um, really traumatic experiences around this, it actually is possible to, um, to heal the trauma that has been experienced and then go on to, to actually have that, again, be, be a joyful part of, of your life. I would say, um, you know, similar to kind of what I said earlier around doing it gently, 
Like, um, and, and for people who have experienced um, sexual trauma, to get support, to work through it, and if you're the partner of someone who's experienced sexual trauma, to get your own support as well, because you are going to need to navigate um, your sex life slightly differently, especially as someone is healing from this. And, and I think so as a, as a partner, it can sometimes be a little bit confusing and frustrating. So if you can get your own support and more understanding of what your partner's going through, you can be there. Um, in support and and if you are the person who's experienced sexual trauma um, reach out and get help see a trauma-informed therapist um, because the the healing around that really really is possible and and what we know around trauma is that support makes an enormous difference to that so the more support you can get um, the the better you're equipping yourself for change and healing yeah, well, I, I agree. I think the healing, it, it is not just a, a fairy tale. It is, it is possible. I think that is the wonder of being a human being. If, if you break your arm uh, and, and that arm is held in a cast, uh, your body knows how to organise itself to replace damaged cells and create new ones. And that bone is stronger when it's healed than before it was broken, which, you know, if our body can heal itself physically, uh, it can definitely heal itself mentally and emotionally, uh, psychologically. So beautiful to hear that message that it's possible because I think there's, there's a fear that you just kind of were damaged. You, you just manage, you, you get by as best you can, can't change the past. It is what it is. Uh, but I, I'm convinced there's so much more on offer. Uh, and I mean, so much around insecurity is developed based on the moments of pain and impact that it's not the things that happen. It's the story that you told yourself about why it happened and what it meant about you. That's the stuff that really gets inside you. And that that's definitely able to be changed. Um, okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's the questions that I've had. It's been such a useful conversation and I'm sure many people will find this greatly valuable just to, to take a breath and go, Oh, thank goodness. We can actually talk about this. Uh, so is there anything I've missed? Is there anything you'd like to add to the conversation that uh, would be really um, important for people to understand on this whole subject? Mm. I think what I would, um, what I would just kind of add is, you know, that it's okay not to know what to do mm. in this area. Um, and I think that that's so many of us. Um, so it's totally okay to go out and do some research. What do other people do? How do I pleasure a woman? How do I pleasure a man? Like, how do I talk about this? What are some of the things that we could try? We don't know what we don't know. And, um, you know, I, I, I know one of the things I've mentioned because it's an enormous theme is that we don't talk about this and we're not educated on it. Um, so don't just expect yourself to know what to do. Don't just expect yourself to be good at sex. That, that isn't generally the, the way it happens. Um, don't be afraid to go out and, and find tools um, and do research in this area because uh, it can make such an enormous difference. 
Yeah, that's a great place to leave the conversation. And, and thank you so much for your contribution uh, to the Insecurity Project and, and this audience and just acknowledge you for the, the great work you're doing in the world. And, uh, yeah, it's very wonderful. Thank you so much for, for having me and for being willing to, to start to open up this topic as well. Mm. Thanks, Isai. We'll leave the conversation there. Thanks, Jamin. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. The aim of the game is to show up to life unhindered by doubt, fear and insecurity so that you can be at your best where it matters most. Now, if you're ready to begin the work of becoming unhindered in your life, the Unhindered Short Course is an eight-part video series designed to help you do exactly that. And at only $99 for a limited time, it's an offer too good to refuse. For more information, go to theinsecurityproject.com.